Welcome to Sanctuary. Glad you're here. My name is Rod, and uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Colossians chapter 2 in just a morning, uh, just a minute in this morning. But I just wanted to say a couple things. And uh, number one, uh, I love being here. I'm delighted that you're here. And uh, we're just a bunch of imperfect people. Beginning with the speaker this morning, very imperfect. You know, uh, the, the, the song we sang there, my sin is great, your love is greater. It's talking about me and you. So we're a bunch of imperfect people that gather together, you know, as a community. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's why we gather. And sometimes we don't get that right. We're a community. God's grace comes in there when we don't get it right. So anyway, you're welcome here. Come as you are. Uh, uh, you know, we are for God. We are for people. We are for the community. We are for the city. And we're glad to be here. Okay, so you ready? Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. So let me just say this. I was on vacation. Some of you know that. And uh, on vacation, you know, we do the adventure vacation. So one of the things that we do is we do rafting. We went horseback riding. You know, that's a story coming. Uh, we go jumping. They jumped off bridges. We hiked Glacier National Park. But we went rafting on the middle fork of the Flathead River in Montana. Are you feeling it? Great experience. And so there we are, and you get on the raft, you know, and they do all the instructions, you know, and tell you how to do it and don't, you know, paddle certain ways, you don't knock people's teeth out. And and then, uh, and so you're, there you are, and you're rafting, and it's fun, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful, and it's majestic, you know, and you're just kind of just sort of cruising along and enjoying, you know, the sunshine and, and the beauty there. And then all of a sudden, what happens is, look on the screens here, look on the screens, got a couple of pictures here. This is my boat. The boat that I was in, you hit a strong current, you hit a rapid, and you get slingshotted into another direction, and all of a sudden you're hanging on for dear life there. And so, but the current there, you know, can get very strong. It was a number three rated, and it would be four if the water was just a little higher. So it was pretty significant. And so this is the bone crusher rapid, just in case you're ever there on the Flathead River. The bone crusher. So, anyway, so we're hanging on for dear life during the bone crusher there, and that's just a moment there, but it's kind of a hold your breath moment, you know. You're holding your breath as you're going through and uh, those, those rapids there and when you hit the turbulent currents. And so that's what was happening in the church here. What happened was they were cruising along in their little floaties. Everything was going fine. It's a new church. Uh, things are going good. And then all of a sudden they hit a current. And the current that would shoot them out. And the current was these phony false teachers which come in and disrupt the, the flow of what was happening. So we're going to read Colossians chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to read this. Uh, you're going to look on the screens and I'll read out loud beginning in verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you're dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. 
Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away, nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could be here. Father, I pray that uh, you would bless our time here today. I pray that we would hear your voice through your word, that you would speak to us, that you would be the God who rewrites our story, making us alive unto you. May we see Jesus more clearly. May you bless our hearing. May there be moments of aha and maybe where we grasp more fully your love and your purpose and your person. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And so the purpose of this letter is to show this, to show that Jesus changes everything. Can you say that? Jesus changes everything. That he is enough, that he is supreme, and he is sufficient here. So if you're new and you're just joining us this morning, just kind of want to catch everybody up to speed here. So this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in prison, chained uh, there in prison, to the ancient city of Colossae. Four chapters, 95 verses, absolutely magnificent letter to read. And so, but there's a problem, even though things had been going good. And the problem was this, is that there were some outsiders who began to infiltrate and entered into the story of Colossae. They began to enter into the story there, and they started threatening the pure faith of that community there. And so... This, I just need to say, this is not just some Bible talk, you know, some lecture about what happened 2,000 years ago. This is for us because your faith, your pure faith, your story can also have the entrance of influence that can derail you just like them. So Colossians then, it's God's way of speaking to us. The Apostle Paul there, he hears God's voice for the Colossian people, and then he begins to write it down. And so, and get this, Paul is shackled. He's chained up. He, you know, uh, he's, a, he's in prison there and for his faith. And I just want to say this, that there he is in prison. He literally is, prison, is a, you know, chained to the walls there with guards, you know, 24-7. And yet, even that, even though that's his circumstance in life, it didn't stop God Almighty from accomplishing his purpose in his life. And I just want to say that because I know that, you know, you may be here this morning and you feel like, dang, my circumstances, like, they are chaining to me, you know, and I feel like I'm chained up here. But just take this encouragement that even though your life may be going upside down, don't think for a moment that God can't work out his purposes in your life like he did Paul here. So Paul has a major, that was worth at least like a ride on. Come on, baby. So Paul now is going to address this major concern in the letter. And what was that concern? The concern was this, is that they were saying that Jesus, ah, ah, he's less than God. He, He's not almighty God. Jesus, he's like junior God. He's not fully God and fully man here. You got all that wrong there. And then the other thing they were doing is this. As they, they thought you needed some secret knowledge only obtainable to a few people in the faith there. And so 
I'm just going to, could we role play for a moment? Could, would you mind if we wrote to, to show you? Okay, so this is what would happen, okay? This is what would happen. Is it like I'm gone and they come up, okay? Here's the bad guys come up and this is what, this is what they would do. They would say, hey, sanctuary, how you doing? And so listen, I just want to talk to you for a moment here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be talking to maybe, I'm going to talk to all of you. But what I've really got to say is maybe for just a select few, okay? Maybe 5%, maybe 10% of you. So looking out at most of you there, I would say, you know, you're good for Jesus 101. But the rest of you, that 5 or 10%, I've got something for you here. It's Jesus 401. But you need to know this, you know, and listen to me. I know that Rod, he gets up here, does the Bible, does his thing and all that. But I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? This is even beyond anything that he's going to do, he does here. So we've got this special code. We've got the secret sauce of the faith. Anybody want the secret sauce of the faith? Come on, come on. And so we've got the secret knowledge. We've got the secret doorway, the secret mysteries we're going to tell you about. But it's only for a select few. I can only take five, ten percent of you if you qualify here. And what we're going to give you, I don't know how to do this thing, but we're going to give you some special angles, some special understanding beyond the scripture. It's beyond anything there, okay? And so you can understand the higher things of the spiritual life. Are you in? Sound good. So Bible callers call that the Gnostic heresy, okay? And so what happened then? So Paul's hearing about that. He's hearing what's happened. Epaphras is doing his thing, teaching. He's awesome, you know. And then these whack jobs, these whack jobs come in. They're infiltrating the church. And so Paul's time out. The Holy Spirit's time out. Paul, tell them this. So Paul begins to write what, you know, to respond to what was happening there. And so because these false teachers are beginning to distract people away from the word of God, which is the power of God, which is alive and active in your life and able to change your life. And they're trying to distract everybody away from that. So the Holy Spirit goes like this. Paul, get ready to write here. Write down and we're going we're gonna to confront these intruders that are coming into the church. We're going to bring truth. We're going to bring revelation to the people here. We're going to see their eyes open. We're gonna find, they're going to find out that Jesus changes everything. They don't need to hear from them. So what is in this for you today? This is what's in it for you today. If you're new, you're, you're a guest here. You're trying to figure out church. If you're new here, you're going to find out who Jesus is. Number one, then you're going to find out what Jesus does in you. So verse eight, with that background here, now we all get it. The church facing the threat of these whack jobs coming in with this false teaching. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. He's saying this, look, don't let those, don't let the phonies enslave you. Don't let them do that to you here. And so I said, and Paul's not like anti-philosophy. He's, you know, but he's raising the flag that there are people that will bring uh, philosophical viewpoints here that can undermine your walk with Christ. He's not condemning philosophy or anything like that here. And so Paul raises the flag here. Uh, what he's saying is like, look, there's going to be people who are going to try to draw you away. Philosophies, ideologies, uh, ways of thought. They're going to gain momentum. They're going to gain traction in the church and in culture. And you have to be aware of that. And uh, what he's saying is this here. He's saying that 
um, that every generation is going to face dominant philosophical uh, paradigms that surface and gain traction, and you have to be aware of that. And so the cross-cultural current there that they were hitting was pulling people away from Jesus. And so he talks about empty philosophies. Well, what is that? It's empty. It's not helpful. It's hollow. It's lacking. It can't heal you. It can't change your life. But it sounds compelling. It sounds enticing. Maybe sounds interesting here. And so he's talking about ideologies, worldviews, systems of thought here, ways of thinking. And what happens is they become popular in culture here, and then they gain root in universities and the internet and just in culture in general there. And he says, you know what? Here's what also happens with the false teachers. They push their own thinking, human thinking, man-made, man-taught, not God-breathed, not God-origin, not Almighty God. It's just man with a fallen little three pound brain there and you're going to listen to him rather than the eternal God there. And so he says, look, it's just human thinking. Don't be duped by that. It's nothing more than conjecture. It's supposition. They're hypothesizing. They're pontificating their nonsense there. So don't, don't bite on their theorizing about their ideas there. And so he says, and there's high sounding nonsense. Really, it's just, he's saying like, it's baloney, okay? So don't go there. He says, like, like they would say this, oh, hey, did you hear, did you hear, you know, the, the secret revelation, the newest, hottest, you know, prophecy there. You can get in your email, check your inbox tomorrow there. The new information, the latest, you know, greatest, you know, the new book you know, that shows you more than you could ever learn from the scripture. And so that was the kind of the angle and the spirit that they were working in. And then he says, and the spiritual powers of this world. After all that, you want to know even what can be behind it there is that there's a world that you can't see and that world's at work. Now think about that. He's saying that, look, look, all those things, they can be fueled and motivated and inspired by the influence of darkness. There can even be demonic forces. I know I might be getting a little uncomfortable in the room here, but you know what? Uh, stretching you in your comfort zone. But he's saying, look, here's what they do. They take the ideologies and the philosophies and the certain ideas, you know, and cultural trends and the powers of darkness. They, they, they empower them. And when they empower them, then they, they can rise up against Christ. They can rise up against scripture and they can gain momentum in culture here. And just know this. It's not accidental. He said, here, look, they're the spiritual powers of this world. And so uh, the apostle John said, hey, 1 John 4, 1, he said, hey, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe every spirit there. He says, but test the spirits and see if they're from God. And so C.S. Lewis said, you know what, what we do in, uh, what we tend to do in church world is we do this. He said, we either, we either take the demonic and go, ah, you know, uh, and, and we supercharge it. And we, you know, it's the, it's uh, like it's on steroids. And, you know, your car doesn't start. And it's like, oh, that's a demon of uh, of losing, making me lose my keys. Like, you know what? You're just too busy and the, your kid was screaming and you just lost your keys. It had nothing to do with that. Or so we, we 
over, we over uh, uh, spiritualize it or we deny it. He says, you know what? Just know this. It's real. Just take it, just take it from what God says here. It's real here. And so you know what? So there's these philosophies that they gain traction in culture. So I just want to pause for a moment and give you an example. Just, just one example that's been on my radar for a little bit here. And that is, I think it's a hot button. And that's the whole idea of tolerance. And so if I say anything that you don't like in the next few minutes, my name is Sean Lynn. You can email me there. And just complain all you want. So, tolerance. You know, so if you're on social media, you know, and you want to be liked uh, uh, a lot there, you know, the current of culture is, unless you are tolerance, you know, you, you may not be liked here. But I really think it's becoming the philosophy of our day here. And so, uh, by that I mean this here, is that, uh, uh, it's become so prevalent in culture. And so, and so like people think like, well, God is love, right? Yeah, yeah, God's love. So that means God's tolerant, right? Well, you know, uh, we can, we can unpack that. And so, uh, so, but, so you mean God is love, right? So he's tolerant. So God would never say no to people who want to do any like crazy thing they want to do, right? Because after all, God is tolerant, you know? And so, and what has happened in culture is this, is that, uh, the definition, the dictionary definition of tolerance has been redefined. Okay, it's been tweaked and redefined. And uh, perhaps some of you, you grew up with this, is that uh, tolerance used to mean I endure you, you endure me, and uh, maybe we have different opinions or different beliefs and all, but we just allow one another some kind of some space, you know, to disagree. You know, you know what I'm saying? Does anybody in the room know what I'm saying? Okay, and so, but now the new cultural definition of tolerance has been redefined to mean like, I celebrate you, and you celebrate me, and we celebrate each other here, and we're both right, and I, we both celebrate one another. Well, but, but what if I don't celebrate, what if I don't celebrate what you're doing that you should probably repent of. Well, then you're intolerant. You're, you're intolerant there. And if you're intolerant against me, then I have to be intolerant against you. Time out. Isn't that being intolerant? No, that's not being intolerant. So intolerance, it's just for you. It's not for me because you're being intolerant of, of my thoughts here. What I'm doing is being loving. And what you're doing is being, you know, hey, you're, you're being hateful and intolerant. So I'm intolerant of your intolerance. And so, and so, um, uh, and so, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, empty philosophy, human thinking here. So could it be, just a couple questions, just a couple questions, then we'll move on. Could it be, though, that tolerance has an agenda for conformity? Just a thought, just a thought. Could it be, could it be that tolerance, you know, people say, you're intolerant, you know, in culture here. Could it be that they're unwilling to engage in intellectual discussion and don't want to be challenged by an alternate point of view? Could it be that? And so, so what about the God of the Bible? Is the God of the Bible tolerant or intolerant? Well, you know, the God of the Bible, you know, in one regard is very tolerant. And then he says, whosoever shall come is welcome. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever... 
Doesn't matter your background, your philosophy, your ideology, your political affiliation. Whatever your crazy behavior has been, whatever insane things that you have done, come as you are. Utter and complete tolerance there. But because God loves us, he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And here's where things begin to change here. Tolerance says, oh, you know what? There is not, I celebrate you. There is nothing about you that needs to change. Nothing about you that needs to be altered. Imagine if we empowered like our two-year-olds to live that way. Where does that go? Your two-year-old that you can, it's intolerance if you, you want to change or alter any behavior of your two-year-old. But we as a culture have bought in, bought in. So, so, but God is so loving. That he just doesn't tolerate you. He welcomes you in that way. But then he wants to transform you. And to transform you, he can't continue to tolerate some of the stuff in your life there. And so he says, you know what, Rod, I see where you're at. But uh, that needs to change. And that needs to change. And that needs to change. And I would really like you to be the best version of you. I would like you to be better at life. So we've got some things that need to change. See, uh, yeah, I can't tolerate that or that or that there. And so... So here's the deal there. Here is that tolerance, it's the opposite of repentance, and Christianity is all about repentance. Come on. It just got too quiet in the room here this morning. It just means to go the other way. It just means to go the other way. And so you're going one way, and God says, ah, that's going to destroy your life. That's going to wreck your life. You know, time out. Don't go there. Turn around. Go the other way. That's what repentance is. So the Christian life is lived out a life of repentance. And so... um and so repentance says, God, you're right, I'm wrong, you're holy, I'm unholy, you know more than I do, I'll do what you want. So uh, that's my thought on tolerance, okay? Again, Sean Lynn, Sanctuary Church, be glad to hear you. So Jesus in me is everything in your notes, and he intends to do a total life makeover. Wants to do a total life makeover. So don't be duped by what you hear out there, and be undermined by that. Verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Okay, so he's saying this. The eternal, almighty God stepped into history, stepped into a human body. That's Jesus. God wrapped in humanity there. Jesus, the visible expression of God there. So 100% God, 100% man, at the same time there, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is not some, you know, emanation of God, not an imitation of God, not an agent of God, not less than God, not junior God. He is God in the flesh. Anything you need to know about God, just look at Jesus. And so Jesus, in your notes number two, changes everything because he's God. And so he's creator. He created you. Colossians 1.16 says that uh, all things were created by Jesus. Okay, And so only God does that. You were created by God, by Jesus, for Jesus. That's why you were created, how you were created here. And so uh, just get this here. You are unique. You are special. You are precious. You are a miraculous um creation of Jesus Christ here. And your value is found as his creation. And no job, 
No guy, no girl, no relationship, you know, no accomplishment, no pleasure. Uh, nothing out there can trump who you are right now sitting in that chair. You are immensely valuable because you are loved by God. So it says in verse 10 this. Look at this. Look at verse 10. It says, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. You're complete. Now, this is a game changer. This will change your life. A lot of people here, you really need to get a hold of this. Because you don't feel complete. In Christ, you're complete. Watch. What that means is, when you become his follower, you're woven with him. You're linked with him. He is in me. And so uh, you have this brand new reality. Okay, complete through Christ. You have a new story there. It's Jesus in me that makes me complete. Watch. As a man, without him, I'm not complete. I'm incomplete. I don't have a, I'm not alive to God. I don't have a spiritual dimension. I'm dead in my trespass and my sin. But when I, I, I know him, I'm complete in him there. And so this is an absolute game changer. Because in me, he's renovating me. Doing a complete makeover, an inside job that touches every part of your life. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And so we don't need, you know, some new experience and a new fangled doctrine. We don't need that. We just need Jesus. So you're complete because you're this precious creation of Almighty God. And so that should excite you. And so you're here this morning to be in relationship with him. Verse 11. Now this is going to talk about if you're new to church and you're trying, you're thinking somebody brought you or bribed you or whatever, and you're trying to figure out, you know, well, what's like, what's going to happen? What's in it for me if like I decide I want to go in that direction? If I want to lean that way? Well, here it is. This is what Jesus did for you in the next few verses. When you came to Christ, okay, here's what will happen. You're circumcised, but not a physical thing there. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And so this is circumcision 2.0. This is Jesus. So now what he's saying is this, that God historically marked the Jewish people by circumcision there. And that showed that they belonged to God. They had relationship with God. But what he's saying there is that when you are right with God, when you receive him, he does something completely different on the inside there. He changes your heart here. And so it's not an external making watch. It's an internal dramatic transformation that changes everything in your life. And so, uh, so what does that look like when you have a circumcised heart? Well, you know that God called you. God wooed you to himself. God opens your heart. God opens your eyes and you're alive to him here. You have affection for him. And so now you have relationship with him. And so again, this is a total change of the heart. So number three in your notes, Jesus changes everything because he changes your heart, changes your heart. And so verse 12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him, you were raised to new life. You were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God. If, have you ever done that? You're here this morning. Have you ever trusted in God so that he could raise you to life in him? Have you ever done that? 
We're going to have an opportunity at the end if you haven't. And so this is the gospel right here. The gospel is this. Is it you don't really have to do anything. Just trust. Just believe. And you get God. You get all of God here. The good news is that you've been, you've been reconnected or reconciled to God and that He is enough for your, your whole life there. So you've been buried with Christ, raised with Him, and that same power lives inside you. It's awesome. And so in me is Jesus in me changing everything about me here. And so changes how I think. He'll change your attitude. He'll change the patterns of your mind. He'll change the de- desires of your heart. He'll change how you make decisions. He will change, you know, uh, how you act, your behavior, uh, your reactions. He'll change the process by which you do life here. He'll do all, you'll be raised to newness of life. And so think of it this way. He wants to change you from normal human behavior to Jesus filled human behavior. That's good. That's really good. You should write that down. That was, that was good. And so from normal human living to now I'm in Christ, raised to life, revolutionizes everything about my life. And so in, a, in a, about a month or so, we're going to get to chapter four. I want to see that he's going to say, look, this changes everything. It's going to change you wives. Changes the wives, gonna change the husbands, gonna change the children. Saying, I wanna change you, it's gonna change fathers, gonna change employees, gonna, even slaves back then. They're stuck in life there, you know, with slaves. He says, forget about it that you're stuck in life. This is the power of God at work within you. So he's gonna say, look, even you employers, I had a word for you. God wants to change you and how you treat your employees. The people in the church, God wants to change you. This new reality, of being raised to life. It touches and changes every relationship, everything about you, everything about me here. So verse 13, now you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Then God made you alive and forgave all your sins. So he made you alive. And so um, is it hot in here or is it just me? A little warm, okay? So for Enduring Church today, you're going to get a gold star. You're going to get extra credit in heaven. Just hang with me. We'll just be five minutes and then I'll be done, okay? And so the me I used to be is not me anymore because now my sinful nature has, has been addressed by, by Jesus' power. And so what he's saying is this, is that spiritually, formerly spiritually dead people are now alive. You now are alive here. And so it's a supernatural miracle. We can't explain it. We can't get over it. God's love has changed me, not just tolerated me, but transformed me at the deepest levels of my being. So how did Jesus do it? He didn't try to tweak your old nature or improve your old nature. He imparts to you a completely new nature. Only God can do that. And so every day then... I'm renewed in who God says that I am. Not who you say that I am or culture says that I am, but who God says that I am here. So number four, Jesus changes everything because you were raised to life in Christ. Verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Nailing everything about your life 
that was wrong, that was errant, unforgiveness, addictions, painful, but all of that nailed to the cross. So it's like this. I want to illustrate it this way here. What it literally means is this, the charges against us. What are the charges against us? If you could write, if you could be a good enough historian and write everything in your life you've done, that would be a charge against God. Every sin you've ever committed in your entire lifetime, and you could write that down. Say um, I stole $500 from somebody. Uh, I write that down there. And then I sign it at the bottom, Rod Collins. These are the charges uh, against God, all the things that I have done. What it meant was it was a signed uh, confession there of debt. This is my sin, piled high, debt to God, uh, hopeless, nothing I can do. It It is against me. It condemns me. It would destroy me here. And so I sign it. I put my name on the line. And God says, when you do that, and when you come to Christ, he blots the whole thing out. Wow. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faith, not deny it, not make excuse, we just confess it, say what God says about it, then he will uh, he will confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. Number five, Jesus every, changes everything in your notes because he forgives us. And finally, verse 15, in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. And so the cross is the, the pivotal, pinnacle defeat of the powers of darkness, of the devil, of death. Right there, the, spir- the spiritual reality is this. Spiritual force is defeated there. So Jesus, does anybody into MMA? Does anybody like MMA? Come on, where are my brothers and my sisters? Where are you? Get them up. All right. So you know what happens when they, well, if you, if you don't do something, for those of you that never watch, if you don't do something and they get you in an arm bar, if you don't go like that, that means to tap. If you don't go like that, they're going to snap your arm in two like a toothpick or you're like, you got to tap. At the cross, the devil, he tapped, tapped out, done, over. The victory, our victory. Jesus pillaged the powers of darkness at the cross. They were thinking like, yeah, we're going to win. Look at him up on the cross. And Jesus defeated them. Okay. You know, uh, he plundered the kingdom of darkness. I love what it says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20 there, where there's this bastion of theology. And then he's thanking all the people. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, hey, shh, don't forget to say this. Say what? Say this. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet shortly. Isn't that cool? Like a letter, and he says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan shortly. Well, that's what he did at the cross. He crushed his head. He's a defeated foe there, and so he plundered him. And so this is what he did. Death is defeated. Okay, the devil is defeated and done and win, and we win. And so lastly here, Jesus changes everything because sin, death, and the devil are defeated at the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that we're complete in you. Thank you that we've been reconciled with by your forgiveness, made right with God. Thank you that Jesus is just everything. Thank you that you 
change our hearts. You spiritually circumcise us. We can be your, your children. Thank you for your forgiveness. And if you're not sure where you stand with, with Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. And I can promise you that if you give your life to him, he'll not only do what you're looking for, but he'll do more than you ever dreamed. You sense this morning that God is calling you. God became a man and died so that you could become a child of God. And by faith, give your life to Jesus and be his follower. I'm asking you if you want to do that. You have your heart and mind cleansed. So if that's you, just pray with me a simple prayer. A simple prayer like this. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me, for paying the penalty of what I did. I receive your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me. Today, I give you control of my life. I believe you died, were buried, and rose again. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.